Now, I grew up, um, and, and I've heard from a lot of other people as well who grew up in, in a similar way, uh, believing that the gospel was something that we believed one day. Um, when we were unbelievers, we heard the gospel and we believed the gospel and we were saved, forgiven of our sin and saved that day. So the gospel was like this thing for one day and we became believers of the gospel, believers in Jesus, and then the gospel was no more. We didn't need the gospel anymore, so it was just this one-time thing. And, and after we believed the gospel, what, what, what I understood was then I needed to get my life together. I needed to do more. I, I, I needed to, to live a better life. I needed to be a, a better Christian who was doing um, good Christian things. Um, the way that I understood the gospel was that Jesus saved me, and now I needed to get busy um, by, by, by doing good things so that I could stay in his good favor and be a good person. I believed the gospel applied to my unsaved life, but I did not believe or understand that the gospel uh, applied to my saved life as well, to my life as a Christian. And so because I believe that, I, I believe the gospel, and then I left the gospel completely behind. What I've come to learn is that the gospel is not just a one-and-done thing. Um, the gospel applies to my life every single day. Um, and every day, I should, we should return to the gospel again and again and again. So this series that we are, are going through leading up to um, Easter is, is, is all about that, how the gospel um, affects our everyday life and, and how the gospel changes everything. So, so as we get closer to Easter, we'll do a couple of sermons, and then we'll look specifically at um, how the life of Jesus affects my everyday life, um, what, what, what Jesus' death means in, in, in my world every single day, not just a, a one-and-done thing, but, man, how, how his death changes how I live my life. And then, then on Easter, we will celebrate the resurrection together and talk about what an incredible thing the resurrection is and how it shapes our lives. So that's where we're going in this series, and, and we'll get it started today. Um, before we do, let's pray. And if you would, pray with me. Um, here's, here's what I would really like for you to pray, especially if you're someone who's been at New City a lot. Um, you, your, your tendency this morning is going to be to check out, and I don't want you to do that. So would you, would you pray that the Holy Spirit would, would be good to just to bring your focus into what we're talking about this, this morning and, and to help you realize, as, as I'm praying for myself, that we really don't have a good grasp of the gospel and we need to grow in that? Would you all pray that with me? And listen, if you, if you were the person who's got it all together, then just pray that for me, right? Because I need it every day. So if you would, let's pray together, okay? Father, we do thank you for your goodness this morning. We thank you for uh, this season of celebration. It really is a season of celebration, celebrating the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Um, we pray together this morning as your people, and what a, what a precious blessing that is. Uh, Father, I, I pray for myself and I pray for others this morning that, that you would, would help us, Holy Spirit, that you would be good to, to show us those areas of our lives where we are not believing the gospel, 
where we misbelieve, where we, where we disbelieve, where we have come to, to think that the gospel was this one-day event and now we don't need it anymore. Father, take the truths of the gospel and, 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 and plant them deep in our hearts. Um, change, change us. Use this good news to shape us more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict where that is needed, encourage where that is needed, and help us today to walk in the truth of the gospel. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so if in this series we're going to talk about how the gospel changes everything, uh, we should know what the gospel is. So uh, let's just start there with the meaning of the word gospel. Now, I, I know a lot of you already know this, and that's why we were praying that you not check out, because you're like, oh, here we go again, right? I, I, um, I really have been praying that you would stick with me through this. But um, he, he, here's, here's where we go. The English word gospel um, comes from the word euangelion, right? And, and, and that word means and meant good news or a good message, um, the word was used not just in the, the New Testament, but it was a common word even in the Old Testament. And I have this quote from R.C. Sproul who said it much better than me, so I'm just going to read it to you. Um, there, talking about in the Old Testament, the basic meaning of the term gospel was simply an announcement of a good message. If a doctor came to examine a sick person and afterward declared that the problem was nothing serious, that was gospel or good news. In ancient days when soldiers went out to, to battle, people waited breathlessly for a report from the battlefield about the outcome. Once the outcome was known, marathon runners, the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. That's Isaiah 52.7. Um, so when we, when we come to the New Testament, this was sort of the way the word was used in the Old Testament. When we come to the New Testament, Jesus associates the good news with the coming of the kingdom of God. Because throughout the Old Testament, God was promising his people that he would restore his kingdom, the kingdom of God. Um, and so Jesus is referring most often to the gospel in that, in that way, as the kingdom of God coming. And that's why we have, um, we call Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John the gospels. They are the story of the life of Jesus, Jesus who was declaring the kingdom of God was at hand. Now, now stick with me because as the kingdom had come, the, the, the reason that Jesus would proclaim that the kingdom had come and the reason that it was such a big deal that the kingdom had come was because the king himself had come. That's what God was promising in the Old Testament. I will send the one who will establish my kingdom, who will bring forgiveness and, and redemption. And, and that promised one, of course, was Jesus. So as we, as we move more and more through the, um, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we move into the epistles, the Gospel begins to take um, a, a more and more narrow focus in its meaning. With the epistles, that's the letters, like from uh, Paul and Peter and John, uh, the gospel becomes more focused on Jesus himself and takes on a, a, a Christian meaning. It, it was the news specific, and these were not just that the kingdom had come, but that the Redeemer had come, and it was Jesus.
Jesus. And these letters talk about how we live in light of that, that king and this kingdom. Um, it was the news that the Redeemer had come, that God in Christ was fulfilling the promises that he had made, um, and he was doing that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, if we, if, we, if we put that together, right, the Old Testament and the New Testament and the story of the Bible, if we put all of that together, um, what, we, what we might say is that there is a, a, a big picture of the gospel. We have a picture of a marathon runner running into the city, declaring loudly uh, in that city, the Redeemer has come. Like, this is the good news, right? Th these are the feet that are beautiful. As, as they are running into the city declaring the promised one has come. When we come to 1 Corinthians 15, um, the gospel is, is now, in, in Paul's eyes, becoming even sharper and sharper in its focus. Same in Romans 10, but in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul narrows the good news down to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Like, this is the good news, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So that is the gospel. The, the word itself, gospel, means good news. The specific good news at its sharpest focus is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Stick with me. Why is this such good news? Why is this such good news? Now, again, I know some of you this morning who are here week after week at New City, you're like, Pastor Keith, we get it. You tell us every single week. We know. I don't believe you. So I'm going to say it again. I'm kidding. I believe most of you. Stick with me, okay? We, 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 we are often guilty of hearing, um, hearing these truths about the gospel. You, you do hear it week after week in some form from me or the other pastors who preach at New City. You hear the gospel week after week here, um, but we are guilty of often hearing it maybe even having knowledge of the gospel and being able to regurgitate and, and repeat what the gospel is, but we're guilty of not applying it to our lives or, or our lives to the truth of, of the gospel. We don't make the connections with the gospel that need to be made in how we live our everyday life. So we need to understand the gospel is much richer and much deeper um, than we talked about earlier. So, so again, stick with me on this. The, the good news really does change everything about our lives um, but before we can understand the, the, the goodness of the good news, we need to understand the depth of the badness, right? We need to understand the bad news. If we don't understand the bad news, the good news has little meaning. So the, the, the bad news starts um, with in the beginning, right? In the beginning, Genesis. Um, God created the heavens and the earth. We talk about this story a lot because it's, it's our story. It was God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything in the universe. God looked at it and said it was good. He created humanity. He put Adam and Eve in a garden. He gave them a command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. 
right? They were to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and expand the garden so that the garden spread out to fill the entire, the entire earth as, as sort of a garden filled with God's people. And, and they would be God's people, and He would be their God, and He would provide everything that they needed, protect them. They would walk with Him. Literally, Adam and Eve in the cool of the day would spend time with God. They, they walked with Him. There was some sort of physical presence of God. They talked with Him. They were, they were with God. And, and, and after God finished all of this creation, placing Adam and Eve in the garden, giving them their instruction, God looked at His creation and said, this is very good. And that lasted for, I don't know, in your Bible, less than a page, right? Because we come to the next chapter, chapter 3 in the book of Genesis, and, and, and things take a terrible turn. Adam and Eve are in the garden, and the serpent comes and tempts Eve, and Eve takes of the one tree in the garden that they were not to take the fruit of. Eve takes of that fruit, and she turns, and she hands the fruit to Adam, who takes of the fruit as well, and sin enters into the world, and sin changed everything in creation. Right? When, when, when God created, it, it was to be a world filled with his people who, who, who would live with him forever. There would be peace, peace in the world. Like we can't even imagine what that would be like for there to be like utter and, and complete peace in every area of our lives, in every area of the world. But that's the way that God created it. There would be no sickness, there would be no suffering, there would be no pain, there would be no, no war. No death. That's the way that God created it. But God had told Adam and Eve, um, don't take the fruit of this one tree, and the day that you do, surely you, you will die. Death would enter into the world. And so when they took the fruit of that tree, sin indeed entered into the world and changed everything. We see in chapter 3 God talking to Adam and Eve about those changes, and we call it the curse. It's really the consequences of sin and what this death entering into the world in part looks like. God, God tells Adam that, that he will be cursed, and that curse will follow not just Adam, but every man after him. God talks to Eve and tells Eve the same thing. You will be cursed in these ways. These curses will follow you and every woman after you after you. God talks to the serpent, Satan, same thing. He is cursed. God talks about the earth and how the very earth itself, nature, is cursed because of the sin of Adam. Everything in God's good creation is changed because of sin. In the pages that follow, we see death, murder, war, rape, plagues, drought, storms, floods, sickness, disease, all of it in, in that list, and on and on and on. All of the things that we experience today that are so terrible and cause so much trouble and pain in our lives, we see immediately starting after sin entered into the world. We see the curse of sin spreading through the Bible like a, like a cancer across all of creation and moving from one generation to the next generation. And as bad as that is, the death and the suffering and everything that is attached to that, even worse, Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. And it, it wasn't really about the garden. They were kicked out of the presence of God out of the presence of God, away from Him who was their provider and their great protector. Sin separated them and every generation from them on from God. This is bad, but believe it or not, it gets worse. 
right? There was nothing that humanity could do to overcome sin. Everyone after Adam sinned, right? You've sinned, I've sinned, our children, our beautiful, lovely children, they have sinned. It doesn't, it doesn't take long in the, in the life of a newborn before you begin to see that sin nature in them. We have, we have all sinned, all of us. And, and, and here's the thing. We, we, we might always be able to look around and find someone whose sins seem worse than ours. And doing that, we, we might look at ourselves and say, well, at least I don't do that. At least I'm not as bad as they are, so, so I must be okay. We look at a group of people and say, I am way better than that group of people, so I'm all right. But the truth is you aren't. You aren't all right, and, and you know that. We, we, we not only have sinned, but we continue to sin, and we will continue to sin. Small sins, big sins, giant sins. And the Lord says, the wages of sin is what? Death. Death in the Bible means not only physical death, but it means, it means suffering. It means this separation from God as a result of our sin. We are separated from God, and, and, and because we were created to live forever uh, uh, with sin, we are forever separated from God forever, forever, forever. So two things here, right, as we talk about that just for us to apply and understand as bad as all of that is. Um, the first one is we cannot suddenly stop sinning and make ourselves holy. I've said we've all stopped sinning. It's like we can't just stop sinning. If you've never tried, has anybody ever tried? Like, I mean like consciously. I just want to know if I'm alone in this or not. Yeah, like I decided one day, I'm just not going to sin anymore. <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> I'm just not going to sin anymore. I just decided I am gonna, I'm going to do things right. I'm going to follow God. I am going to be holy. And I'm just here to tell you it didn't work, right? I, 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 I know that I'm not along in that. So if you've never tried it, I would encourage you to try it. It's very humbling. Just see how far you get with that. I will not sin anymore. Just decide. Just decide. So we can't stop sinning, and that's, that's terrible, right? Like sin and all of this is terrible. Worse, we can't stop sinning. Let me take it a little further. Not only can we not stop sinning, but a sin-stained person cannot pay the price for their sin. Like the only way for you to pay the price for your sin... Here's why this is important, right? Because we all try to do good in our lives to somehow overcome the bad. Like, I think probably almost everyone in this room, there may be an exception, so I'll say almost everyone, almost everyone in this room lives this way. We, we, we try to make up for the bad things in our lives by doing good things, right? We, we are, that is, that is self-atonement. We're trying to pay the price for our own sins. I've got some terrible news for you. You can't do it. 
You can't do it. You cannot make up for the bad that you have done in your life. There is no way. Because you have sinned, you are sin-stained. There's no way for a sin-stained person to be able to atone for their own life. And here's another thing. Not only can you not make up for the sin in your own life, there's nothing that you can do to atone for the sins of others either. Like, like if you had it in you to say, hey, I will pay the price for everybody's sin and I'll suffer for them, you can't do that either. You can't do that because you're sin-stained as well. Like, like there's nothing that you can do to atone for yourself and your sins because you're a sinner, and there's nothing that you can do to atone for the sins of anyone else. If... If atonement could be made, if, if atonement could be made, it would take the penalty being paid by someone who had never sinned. That's what it would take. The only person who would possibly be able to atone for sin would be someone who lived a perfect, holy, and righteous life, and that is not you, any of you. It's not me either. None of us can do that. What I, what I want you to see in, in talking about how terrible the news is, what I want you to see is how desperate our situation is. Because we are all guilty of forgetting what wretches we are. Our situation is, is absolutely impossible. We tend to see ourselves as not so bad because we have compared ourselves with people that we think are worse than us, but the truth is we are all far worse than we imagine. And we tend to think sometimes that maybe we just need a little bit of help, like, like just a little nudge, a little, a little nudge, a little pull, and then we can get ourselves together. We just get a little bump, a little bump from God, and we'll be okay. We can get our lives together, and we can be good. Listen, we, we, we can't. We can't. We don't need a little help or a little nudge. We are far, far past that. We are in an impossible place. What we really need is a miracle. That's the truth. That's the reality. What we need is a miracle and that's where Jesus comes in. I, I say this every week, again, at New City. Jesus is the miracle that we need. Um, Jesus came to do what we cannot. Jesus came to do what is impossible with us. Jesus came as a man to do what no man has ever done or will ever do besides him. Jesus lived the perfect life, the life that Adam was supposed to live, that's the life that Jesus lived. It was a perfect life. He loved and followed God perfectly and without sin. He, he prayed and he worshiped. Think about the life of Jesus that we read about in the New Testament. He, he lived the perfect life. He, he prayed to God. He followed the Spirit. He worshiped God. He obeyed God. He loved God. He loved people perfectly. There is nothing that he did in his life that did not honor God. And no one else can say that. Jesus lived the life that we cannot live, and he did that on our behalf. Despite this, this, this holiness, really maybe even because of his holiness, Jesus was murdered. 
Jesus was murdered by sinful men who did not see him for who he was, but it wasn't just a murder by sinful men. Jesus was offering himself as a sacrifice that we all need. Jesus was offering himself as as a sacrifice in order for us to one day be near again to God. The holy was offering himself for the unholy, us, the sinless Jesus, for all of us who have sinned. They nailed him to a cross, and there on that cross, he, he would not only suffer at the hands of humanity, but the very wrath of God that we deserve because of sin, the wrath that should be ours was poured out on him. On that cross, he endured the very wrath of God. He took God's wrath so that, that we would not have to. He died to pay our penalty. The innocent for the guilty. After he died on the cross, they buried his body in a tomb. Uh, it seemed at that time, it, it, it would have seemed as if, as if in his death that, 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 that Satan had won, that, that, that God had lost, that humanity had lost. It, it, it would seem that, that, that it was over and, and, and the reign of sin and death would continue. But on the third day, the Holy Spirit breathed the breath of life into his lungs and, and Jesus by the power of God, was raised from death. In his resurrection, Jesus defeated the curse of death. He defeated the bondage of sin, and he defeated Satan himself. And he did that for us. He did that to give us victory, to give us victory over death, the wages of our sin, to give us victory over sin itself, no longer to be held in the bondage of sin, to give us victory over death and sin and Satan. So here's the thing. The reason that the good news is such good news is that we, because the bad news is terrible. The bad news is that we are desperately needy and there is absolutely nothing that we can do for ourselves. That's the bad news. The the good news is that God has done for us in and through Christ exactly what we needed, the thing that we could never do for ourselves. He has paid our penalty. He redeems us from this sin. He washes us clean as if we were as spotless as he is. That that is incredible. Jesus brings us back to the Father. And one day, one day, Jesus, the king, promised that he was returning. And when he returns, when he returns, he will not only save us from our sins, bring us to God, he will bring us to the garden as well, restoring all of creation as it was meant to be in the beginning. That's good news, isn't it? So what do we do with that? What do we do do with this news? What do we do with this news? The picture we have from the Old Testament was um, the news brought from messengers coming uh, from maybe a a faraway city or a faraway battlefield, and they're bringing good news of victory. That That was the example that we had, bringing good news from a king, bringing good news, bringing good news. What we have in the gospel is a message of good news. Everything that we've just talked about is the gospel, and the gospel itself is a message of good news. It's a message. It's a message. 
It's news. What, what, what you are hearing is the message proclaimed. What you are hearing is the good news described. It, it, it's, it's the news of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Now listen and think about this. What do we do with any news? Any news that comes to us, any news that, that, that we receive, what do we do with that news? Think about this. News is just news. It's just a report. Now, this, is, this is important. It, 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 it's news. It's a report. It's not a call to action. I just want that one to sit there for a second. It is news. It's not a call to action. It's, it's not a list of things to do or rules to follow. It is not a command for us to now get ourselves together. The good news is not a message that you are to be holy. Now you are. That's not the good news. The good news is not a call for you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, to be, to be good enough, to serve enough, to do enough in order to be accepted by God. It's not a list of, of, of rules that you haven't done very well following, but now that you believe in Jesus, you need to follow and should follow. It's not a little help or a little nudge to get you going in the right direction because, because you can do this. It is the news of how God rescues us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what it is, the news. It is a report of how, how God himself has done for us in Christ Jesus what we cannot do on our own. It, it is the news that God is fulfilling his promises to save his people by sending a Redeemer. The news is your Savior has come, your Redeemer is here. Like any other news that we hear, I ask the question, what do we do with, with news? Like any other news that we hear, what we do with the news is simply to believe it or not. If I could do a mic drop, that'd be it right there. <laughs> Boom. That's what we do with this news. Either we believe it or, or, or we don't. Everything that happens after that is the result of whether we believe this good news or not. The news comes. Your Redeemer is here. God has made a way for you to be forgiven to be redeemed from sin, to be restored from Him. Beautiful, beautiful news. He's done what you cannot do. Believe it or not. When we receive the news of Jesus and we don't believe it, we simply disregard the news and go about life as it was. True? you've ever shared the gospel with someone or you know someone has heard the gospel before and they don't believe it, they just go on about their life not believing the good news. 
an irreligious person may disregard the good news and live with no thought of God, no no thought of, of Jesus, no thought of life with or without him. A religious person, a religious non-believer uh, may hear the good news and pursue some other god or gods or, or perhaps try to live their best life so that, that, that through living a, a good life they can tip the scales in favor of whoever their god is. To, to do enough good work to be seen as good enough e- either to be reincarnated in a good way or, or to have their best life now, whatever their belief is. The good, maybe because of, of the goodness that they have, the goodness that they live, God will show them some favor, whoever that God is. Hear me on this. There are many professing Christians today who also fit in that category. I don't want that to be you. There are many professing Christians today who fit in that that category. They are religious. They have heard the good news proclaimed. They would say that they know the good news and that they believe the good news. But at the same time as they would say that, they also believe that the work of Jesus needs their works added to it in order for them to be saved. It's, It's Jesus plus how good they can live. It's Jesus plus all of these things that I do. It's Jesus plus this list of rules that I follow. For them, Jesus is a help and a nudge. And Jesus is only effective in their lives and in their forgiveness. Jesus plus their goodness. And they spend their entire life convincing themselves that they've been good enough or working their tail off to be good enough. The good news is not, here is what Jesus has done, now you go do. Can I say that again? This is where the gospel is so scandalous. The gospel has nothing to do with you and your works. Yeah, but shouldn't we? You should. But... The good news is not, here's what Jesus has done, now, now, now you go and do better with your life. The good news is, here's what Jesus has done, period. Believe it or not. The good news is that Jesus has come to save us. The curse of sin would have us perish apart from God forevermore separated from God. The, 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 the curse of sin would have us perish apart from God. But John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, so that whoever, what? Believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Everlasting life with him as it was intended to be. Whoever, what? Believes. We'll, we'll talk more next week about what that word believe means, but, but, but it means basically to have faith in him, to trust in him. Whoever trusts in him, whoever believes, who, who trusts in his work, not whoever trusts in him and acts right. Do you hear me? This is why the news is so amazing. 
It's whoever believes in him, not, not whoever believes in him and then does a lot of good things. Not whoever believes in him and, and, and only sins 55,000 million times, right? It's just whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, whoever hears the good news of the work that he has done for you and trusts in that instead of in yourself. That one will not perish but have everlasting life. Let me read another one, Ephesians 2. I love this one. And you were dead in the trespasses of your sins, every single one of you, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us. He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. Listen, listen. God is glorified when he redeems wretches like me and you. Not when he adds a little touch of Jesus to to self-righteous Pharisees. For by grace you have been saved through what? For by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. And this is, this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of what? Works. So that no one may boast. By grace, grace, an unmerited, unearned gift that you did absolutely nothing to receive, by His grace you have been saved. Saved from, from sins cursed, saved from God's wrath, saved from separation by God, saved by grace. One more time, through what? Faith. Believing. Believing the good news. unbeliever who might be here this morning. If all of this is true, the bad news is really, really terrible, probably far worse than you even imagined. You are woefully sinful, separated from God and without hope, but God. The good news is beautiful. Jesus has done what you could not do, and the forgiveness that you need and long for is yours, not when you get your life together, but when you trust in the good news of Jesus. The messenger shouts, there is victory for you, there is victory for me, there is victory. The battle is won. The battle is won through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Believe the good news. Stop striving, stop, stop wondering, stop working. Believe the good news and rest there. But believer, this good news is for you also. If, if all of this is true, you were not redeemed based on your good works, 
God loves you and he makes you his own in Jesus by his grace. It wasn't you that brought yourself to God. And hear me, it's not you that will keep you there. Man, this is good news too. For the self-righteous, this means there, there is, is no truth to you being good on your own. Right? Like, like God didn't save you and now it's up to you to stay there. He redeemed you. He saved you. He made you his child. You needed Jesus to begin with and you need Jesus now. This, this means that you can relax. Right? It, it means that we can relax when you fail, when, when, you, when you struggle, you are not in danger of losing what God has graciously given you. I want, I want to say that again. Is God who gives you salvation? It is not by your works. It is God who keeps you as a son or daughter. It is not by your works. This is good news. Relax. Relax and enjoy your, your place with the Father. Relax and enjoy the, the benefit of the good news of Jesus Christ. Relationship with God is changed, not by you and your good works. It's changed by His grace. It's changed by the work of Jesus Himself. You are a son or a daughter, and you will always be a son or a daughter. The forgiveness that's yours in Christ means that you don't have to, to walk in guilt for your sins. Repent. Turn from your sins and be done with it. God forgives our sins as far as the east is from the west, and that is forever. Do you understand that? You are forgiven of your sins. When, when, when the Father looks at you as his child, he sees you through the blood of Jesus, and the blood of Jesus has washed you clean. And so when, when the Father sees us, e even now, he, he declares us innocent. Innocent. You are innocent because of the blood of Jesus. And, and, and so you don't have to walk in, in guilt and shame for your past, before you became a believer or your past five minutes ago. No guilt and no shame. If the Spirit convicts, repent of that sin and turn to Him and walk in confidence that you are a child of God. This is the truth of the gospel. This is what the good news means. This is what the good news is. It, it means you don't, you don't have to worry about God being mad at you. God is not mad at you if you are a child. If you, if you are his child, if you have trusted in the work of Jesus, your father is not mad at you, even if you sinned. Even in your struggle, your father is not mad at you. His wrath has been poured out on Jesus. There is no wrath for you. It's gone. The wrath that you deserve already poured out. Jesus took every ounce of that on the cross for you. Believe this good news. The gospel is, is this. It's the good news that Jesus has come to save you. 
It isn't a call to work harder and do more, and maybe you will be welcomed. It is the news that He has come to save you, to make you His child. He has come bringing victory over death and sin and Satan. He has come to do away with all that sin has brought to the world. What do you do with this good news? What do you do with the good news of the gospel? Believe it or not. My plea is that you believe it, to believe it with all of your heart today, tomorrow, and for the rest of your life, every day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this really is scandalous and hard to believe good news. That in our ugliness and our wretchedness and our brokenness, you save us. But you don't just save us, you keep us. We don't have to hide from you. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to cower in fear or shame. You love us. What beautiful news. All that Jesus has done for us. Father, we thank you for him. And, and we thank you that, that, that we have this good news to, to hear and believe. And we have this good news to proclaim to others. Help us, Father, to, to live in this good news, to believe it every day again and again and again, not just once and leave it behind. Shape us into the image of Jesus. Remind us, remind us, remind us, remind us, remind us of this good news. Their lives might be filled with awe and joy and worship. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.